Okay, can you give an estimation on uh, uh, podcast revenue from advertising right now, commercials? I'll just give you an estimate. Um, it's about half a million, somewhere around there. Okay. Year. And and then you have numerous master classes, I think. Anyway. And it's all part of a membership. They're both roughly yeah. and. I'm obviously not giving you exact numbers. I don't know, but yeah. in my mind, it's about half, half and half, half a million, half a million, somewhere around there. Okay. Some years a little bit more, some years a little bit less, um, but that's where it is. We stand today. The business method the business with method. a shout The business method. The business method podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring over 500 episodes of entrepreneurs and high-performance experts dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. We've been fortunate enough to interview some of the leading experts in business and performance today. The billionaire CEO of Priceline, Jeff Hoffman, the CEO of Chipotle, Monty Moran, world's top big wave surfer, Laird Hamilton, the first black woman to build a billion dollar company, Janet Halroyd, world's top investment expert, Jim Rogers, and the list goes on and on. All of these guests you can find on the podcast backlog using Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Google, and any podcast app you prefer. Also, you guys, have you started listening to our micro high performance episodes yet? We've taken the most powerful tips and tricks from over 400 interviews that our guests have shared on how to optimize their own personal performance, and we've made them into digestible micro podcast episodes that are just two to 10 minutes long. We publish these on Monday and Friday each week, and those episodes are labeled as HP number 123456 and so on. Those episodes are live now, and they're designed for you to consume some quick, high-quality content while you only have a few minutes to spare. So be sure to subscribe to the Business Method Podcast on your favorite app so you can get those delivered as soon as they're live. And now, let's hop into today's episode. The Business Method. Hey listeners, real quick before we get started, I wanted to tell you about our trips and adventures for entrepreneurs. We have live events in different locations around the world, luxury trips to the Caribbean, adventurous trips to knock off your bucket list, and of course some private business events as well. If you're an entrepreneur, we'd love to have you join us. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at thebusinessmethod.com to stay updated. And for those established entrepreneurs out there that want to be involved in a community that is curated specifically for seasoned business minds, then we have a group for you. Inside this group, we have private live events in different locations around the world specifically for our members. We get those members in a place where they can connect, collaborate, and grow their companies faster just by being around one another. We also organize private podcast viewings and Q&A sessions with some of the world's top entrepreneurs like Jim Rogers, Alex Hermosi, the CEO of Chipotle, the marketing mind behind GoPro. And as a member of our group, you'll get to hop on calls with our podcast guests regularly to ask them any questions you want. And the last benefit is access to private world-class masterminds that are specifically curated for whatever challenges you're going through at the time. Our purpose with this private community is to help you expand your network, connect with some of the brightest minds in business today, and help one another overcome business challenges faster. You can learn more about our community at thebusinessmethod.com. Remember, subscribe to stay updated. And now, let's hop into today's show. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. He runs one of the top business podcasts in the world that he has been hosting for around a decade. He has over 2,000 interviews and is one of the few that has turned his podcast into a very profitable business. Before his podcasting days, he founded Bradford & Reed, a company that ran a collection of startups. He built Bradford & Reed into a $30 million company in his 20s to the point where they were processing 400,000 online greeting cards a day. And they were a top 25 valued website property in the world way back in the year 2000. He got to the point where he was burnt out and sold his company, and then he decided to become a podcaster. The name of his podcast is Mixergy and is close to being one of the biggest business podcasts on the planet. Our guest's name is Andrew Warner. He has interviewed top entrepreneurs from all over the world, such as the founders of Wikipedia, Groupon, Living Social, LinkedIn, Airbnb, and many, many, many more. Today, his podcast is a household name throughout the entrepreneur scene, and he is on our show to tell us how he did it all. Andrew, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Good. Thanks, Chris. Good. And how long have you been podcasting? Because I couldn't get the exact date that Mixergy started. Do you remember when it was? 
2007, I think, was the first one. Okay, so you're at 14 years now. Yeah. Yeah. You're almost like the first podcast on the internet that that long ago, close to it. <laughs> Before podcasting was on the iPhone, when you needed all kinds of special software to get it, Lemon was the app. Anyway, it's yeah. been a while. What made you think even way back then, did you think that podcasting would be a successful platform or were you just excited about doing interviews and decided to hop into it? Both. I really like having conversations with people who I'm curious about. And at the same time, I'm somebody who as a listener, I just like having something on in the background all the time. Like if we get into a home and there's nothing up on the walls, it bothers my wife. She needs to put art on the walls. She needs to make it into a home by having bookcases full with this and that. I, I'm not as interested in that, but I do need some kind of audio all the time. Mm. It just is, it fills a room and it doesn't have to be music. It could be talk. So if I'm driving, I'll listen to something. If I'm walking around the house, if I'm running, I'll listen to something. And so I feel like if you're going to listen, it should be something that matters, something that's specific to what you're what you're thinking about and caring about. And that's the beauty of podcasting, that there's a topic there. There's a person who's obsessing on that topic for everybody. Yeah. I'm always uh, curious about that because you see a lot of people that try a new platform and try a new platform and try a new platform, and then they don't ever seem to hit it. And then you see a handful of people that uh, started on a new platform, social media platform or podcasting platform in the early days and they just explode and, and, and kind of just ride the momentum of that. Um, do you think there's a secret to choosing the right platform for you? Not you specifically, but for each individual person in the early days? Cause like, you know, I don't know about a year ago, clubhouse just kind of started to get popular and build momentum. And now, I mean, I haven't been on Clubhouse since probably March, and I know a lot of people who haven't also, but what are your thoughts on it? I used to dismiss those platforms because they came and they failed, and ha-ha uh, to all the people who tried it and didn't work, you wasted your time. That's a mistake, though. I realized that people who got good at Clubhouse were good at Twitter spaces and then will be good at whatever the next thing is. It's just all experimentation, and... The people who got on these platforms early, even if we all dumped out, they got some attention for themselves because they were in those platforms. So if you're feeling called to it, if you're interested, I think it makes sense to be in it. I think the big problem is not picking a platform. I think the big problem is overthinking the platform. And by that, I mean, when it comes to podcasting, how many people spend forever finding the right microphone and making sure that they have studio space <laughs> and making sure that this and that, and then they have to bank 20 before they put out their first one. And it's like all this nonsense. And in reality, they're just way overthinking it. They're better off coming up with the trailer, quickly publishing it, doing the first one, and then committing to doing it on a regular basis and also being comfortable dropping out if it doesn't work. And I think yeah. that works much better than overthinking. Yeah. So you've got a new book, Stop Asking Questions, which is an ironic name for a podcaster who asks questions for a profession. And um, but if you guys want to find out why he titled the book, you should buy it and read it because he tells you why exactly. No, just I'm kidding. Okay, tell him anywhere. Uh, <laughs> um, so I actually when I got this book and I finished this in probably a week and a half, I looked at the table of contents and I thought to myself, that's a lot of content for 160 pages or so. And but I think you hit it kind of spot on, like you run through it. It is direct. It is clear. And for anybody that has a podcast or thinking about starting a podcast, I think this is a good way to kind of start off doing that. I want to hear some of your backstory. One of the stories that stood out for me that you wrote in the book is really one that I thought was bold and really cool because when you were an unpaid intern at Bear Stearns, you got the courage up to ask Alan Greenspan for a one-on-one -on -one meeting. And for those that don't know, former chairman of the Federal Reserve, Alan Greenspan. No, no, he was he was a different person. He actually was known as Ace Greenspan. And 
he, he was yeah this was a person who was just in finance not the uh, guy who okay ended up okay yeah. i got him confused all right yeah. so but anyway he was one of the top guys at bear stearns right and and you got the courage to the top guy the top guy okay tell us why why you had the courage to do that at a young age i do not like just watching life from a distance i like being a part of it and as somebody who just kept reading about people like ace who was running bear stearns and and just doing huge things in finance, I I didn't want to watch him. I wanted to be in their world. And for me, the first step was, let me just get to meet him and ask him some questions. By the way, are you hearing an echo? No. If anyone out there is hearing an echo, let us know. And so I said, I'm working here. I'm not making money. Why don't I just reach out to the boss and see if he'll see me in person? And sure enough, he was willing to do it. I just I just contacted his assistant. I said, I want to meet the guy. I work with, I work for him. Can I learn a little bit more about him? And I got the opportunity and I freaking blew it because yeah. nothing came out of it. <laughs> and now that I, I think about it, I think if you're working for someone, even if they're a major celebrity, they're so much more attainable than you imagine. In fact, even if you're not working for someone, I was just talking to Mark Randolph, the guy who founded Netflix with Reed Hastings. I, I think he's the actual founder. Reed Hastings was the inventor, investor who ended up taking the company on. But fine. He says co-founder. The freaking guy did incredibly well with Netflix. A friend of mine, Matt Morales, just reached out to him years ago off his website, said, I'm starting a company. Will you advise me? The guy has advised him for years and invested in his company and just will do so much for him just because Matt reached out to him randomly. And so what I'm saying is people are incredibly attainable. The thing is that we often blow it. And if you're if you're on the receiving end of people's requests for help and you say, yes, you want to help. And the worst is when they just waste your freaking time. And I wasted his time. I got in there. I asked him about things that I read about. And all he did was just confirm it and give me a little bit more information about the things that I already read. And I go, oh, this is not going well. And then finally, the guy stands up. He looks me in the face and he says, thank you for coming here. And I realized, oh, this is his <laughs> way of kicking me out. And so I say, thank you. And then on my way out, he says, well, I see what you're looking for, Andrew. You want um, a little bit more insight into how to make it in this business. Someone once told me that if you do what you love, you never have to work a day in your life. All right, I hope that helps. And that was it. <laughs> Freaking A. Uh -huh. Could have got that from a quote book. That's meaningless. And so I wanted to take advantage of those situations when they come up in the future and never blow them. And that's what I've done now. It's it's not just in, in the podcast. It's in interviews on other platforms. We talked about Clubhouse, which I was a part of for a while. We talked about other platforms, but also in real life. If I'm getting to meet somebody who I want to learn from, connect with, I don't want to blow that opportunity. Yeah. And what I've done in the interviews is take advantage of those opportunities well. And then in the book, I said, here are the techniques that I use to get people to be open, to have deep, meaningful conversations. Yeah. Was there a time or, or maybe you could mention a time when you had a podcast guest on your show that you were really excited to have, like maybe somebody that you thought was like the top entrepreneur or investor in the Mark world? Mark Randolph. I've been freaking amazed by him. It was, I was uh -huh. someone sitting on the sidelines watching Netflix story take off and people make up all these nonsense stories about how it was founded. And I thought, that's not it. I want to really talk to the guy who founded it, not Reed Hastings, the guy who's running it, but the guy who was just running through a bunch of ideas, trying to figure out what to do and then hit on the idea of Netflix. And I got to talk to him. The guy is phenomenal. Yeah. He's everything I was hoping to meet and more energetic. He, I think he told me he was 65 or something, still going on these long runs, still going on mountain climbing expeditions, helping entrepreneurs, investing, taking an interest in cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Everything is phenomenal. And the beauty of doing Mixer G for as long as I have, if you do anything long enough, people eventually notice, um, and not just long enough, but also loud enough, people will notice the beauty is that his team reached out to me and said, can Mark be on your podcast? And I said, hell yeah. Hell yeah. I don't even record on Tuesday, but I said, hell yeah, I'll find a way. <laughs> but tell us about a time like you had a guest, Andrew, and um, you were really excited about the guest, but then you felt like you were flopping in the middle of the interview or you felt like you um, it wasn't going the way that you wanted. wanted. So in, in maybe you recovered yourself or tried to recover from that. This is one. So uh -huh. Chris, before the interview, I happen to have a therapy session. And I'm like carving out time. 
we've got COVID in my house. So I got everybody in the freaking Airbnb now. It's just, it's, it's just really tough on me. But I set my kids up with an iPad and a learning app. I stepped outside. I talked to my therapist and I said to the therapist, I said, David, I don't even know where I'm going with this interview with Mark Randolph. And then it occurred to me, I, I have to be centered on a thing that I'm curious about. And for me is how, how does he figure out what he wants to do with his life? He's done so many interesting things. How does he come up with the things that he's interested in doing? And so that's what I centered on. And I started forcing the conversation towards that, towards Mark. How did you know the Netflix? How did you know what to come up with? How did you know before that the mail order? Like, how did you? And I love that he called it out that I create an atmosphere where he can be open with me. And he said, Andrew, you're pushing too much to get the answers in the direction that you wanted this conversation. I don't think that way. I don't work that way. I didn't say the same way that you think I said, I need to come up with a good business idea. I'm going to experiment this way. I need to decide whether my working for my mom is better than working for my, he says, no, he says, I love the unknown. He says, I enjoy getting lost in the unknown. As soon as it's known, I lose interest. And then we started talking about that and why he loved it and why he doesn't define himself by his failures. Because when you go down an unknown path, you're going to fail a lot. And he talked a lot about failure at Netflix. You know, if Netflix was thinking about doing VHS tapes, then they were doing DVD sales and then DVD sales didn't work. And then they were doing DVD uh, rentals. And then people weren't excited about DVD as a platform. So all those things I said, how did you not define yourself? And he talked about how when he was a kid, he used to sell seeds door to door. And when people rejected him, he realized, well, let me understand why and let me do it again. And let me try and see if I could adjust what I say or the first thing I sell or what I wear tomorrow. And he said, that's where he discovered his zone. Anyway, the reason I'm saying that all, all that to you is I create an atmosphere where we can talk about when the interview sucks, when I'm not getting what I'm looking for. And I think that's where the gems come out from that openness. And in that conversation, we were open about how the conversation was being too structured, and that led to a deep awareness of who he is, someone who enjoys the unstructured. Do you think you've adapted more of an unstructured, unstructured style of interview over the years? Because in the no, book, I'm too anal. You like to be right I'm on. I'm very point. anal. Yeah. <laughs> yes. My therapist said, "What's that podcaster who's always so you know who the guy who's super popular and who's like." I said, you mean Joe Rogan, right? And he goes, yeah, isn't Joe Rogan unstructured? Why do you need to know what you're going for with this interview? And I said, <laughs> you now know me. I can't just walk into a conversation not knowing what's going on. It's just not me. Yeah, I need a goal for everything. And so we had a, we had a goal. So you've mentioned your therapist quite a few times, you know, just on this chat. And I think you talk about you hired um, some consultants in the book and coaches in the book on being a better speaker and a better podcaster. What role is is therapy playing in your life as a podcaster right now? Are you using this? Uh, is this regularly? Zero. Bupkis. My wife uh -huh. basically said, us moving to Austin is not my idea, she said, but I'll do it. What I need you to do, though, is go to therapy so that you can just get more organized mentally because she sees that I'm now at a place where I'm kind of wandering mm. mentally. And so she said, if we're staying here, get, get into therapy with somebody. And so I'm going into therapy and I don't really fully understand what the goal is, but we're coming up with it. It's just been a couple of sessions. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So you back to your, back to the timeline of your story, you built Bradford and Reed and you built that into a 30 million. Sorry, company. let me, let me pause for a second, Chris, uh -huh. though. I will say this. Uh -huh. I wish that I'd taken on more coaches in my life. And one example is I, I had a coach for chess. Chess, you can see your rating. You get a score all the time, like nothing else in the world. You know where you stand. Right. When I had a coach, I intentionally scheduled him for 5.30 in the morning. So I was getting up at 5.30 for the call. I intentionally told him what my goal was, mm -hmm. right, to improve and so on. The fact that he and I were every week examining my games, going over mistakes, going over opportunities that I'd missed, going over structures and strategy meant that my score was increasing by 200 points, which is significant at my level within a few months. And then I wasn't happy that he was showing up late. So I said, I can't work with you anymore, but I better, I got to replace him. I have found coaches, if they're the right ones, to be phenomenally helpful and pain in the ass to find. But I did do it for the interviews. I found a coach who was the producer of Inside the Actor Studio. Mm -hmm. I told him my problem week to week. We analyzed the hell out of each transcript. And then every time we figured out something to work, I put in a Google Doc. And then 
I would go back and find in the transcript an example of how it worked, and I would add that to the Google Docs. The Google Doc had it all. And so what I'm saying is this book was informed by that. My interview process was informed by that coaching, and I, I've got to do more of it, more and more coaching. Do you mind sharing uh, some of the coaches that you use that you really you like their work? Uh, I don't always know their names because they've been there and left. Uh, Jeremy Carrigan, absolutely remember him. He is the producer of Inside the Actor Studio. The guy is, he was phenomenal. I, I just lost touch with him and I'll send him a note every once in a while. Like when the host of Inside the Actor Studio died, I sent him a note, a condolence. He doesn't respond. He was never super techie, but I wish he would know how much he influenced my interviews. I, I just don't think he cares. I think he's just in his own world, his own creative experience, um, which I dig about him. I felt there was a period there where I, I sucked at sex. I went and I found this, I looked for a bunch of people to help me. And I found this one dude who was a hypnotist in um, Equinox of all freaking places. Uh -huh. And we just talked about it and was like, all right, Andrew, here's the thing. You're getting too deep in your head. Here's how you get yourself out of your head and how you can focus. I go, I thought you were just a waste of time, but I was experimenting. This was fantastic. Great conversations. <laughs> he told me when he sucked at sex, it was like, great. Uh -huh. um, so there are the random times in my life, which have been incredibly helpful to have that outside person both give me guidance and influence, but also make sure that I'm having regular awareness that this is something I'm working on. Chess, interview, sex. What do else you, you one coach at a time or do you, if it's a different area of your life, do you mind hiring two or more coaches at once? When I'm not sure about the approach I want, um, like when I sucked at sex and I didn't know what approach was right, I was trying everybody. I had time. Let's go do it. Um, when I am like with chess, I didn't want to have two different teachers each give me a different process. Uh -huh. You know, one person telling me to do um, one opening, another person telling me to do another. And then there's no, there's no, I don't know. There's no uh, consistency in that case, I'll go with one person, one process, or one approach, even if it's multiple teachers who are doing it. Yeah. I do want to dissect the the structure of your podcast as a business, Andrew, because I, I really feel like so many podcasters, they struggle with building, with monetizing their podcast, right? They struggle with making it something that, that is sustainable for them in the long run. And um, I don't know if you listened to Tim Ferriss had a new episode uh, where it was about his 700 million downloads. And one of the things that he mentioned was that one of the reasons he continues to podcast is even if it fails, it's still success for him. Like he gets somebody on the show that he still learns from, even if the show's a flop, you know. And about what other platform, by the way, I we keep using interviewing as own interviewing and podcasting is synonymous. They're not. Mm -hmm. I think that that's true for interviewing. It's not necessarily true for podcasting. There's some people okay. who are podcasting with a mic and nothing else. I don't think they're getting nearly as much. They might be, but I think it's completely different. It's interviewing that's the magic. Whether you do it in text form or you interview somebody and then you go back and you write it out. When you think about someone like Neil Strauss, he is an unbelievable interviewer. Mm -hmm. When he goes in and he interviews someone for the New York Times or for his book or for Rolling Stone, right? He will study everything he can about them. And before he even meets them, he's smarter for having done it. And then in the conversation, he could be smarter. Now, he's not doing it as a podcast. He's doing it in book or or, uh, or or newspaper or magazine form. That's the magic. There's nothing else like that. If you suck at Instagram, you suck. You're not getting much out of it. Maybe you're learning to be a little creative, but you're not learning from outside influence. There's nothing like interviewing yeah. to do that. Okay, so actually let's dissect kind of the structure of your, of Mixergy's as a business. Yeah. Um, you have revenue from the advertisements, you have revenue yeah. from the master classes. And uh, is there anything else that's pulling in revenue from Mixergy? There have been over the years at this point, it's just those two. Okay. There have been over the years where I'll do an event. So uh, Tim Ferriss was at one of my events and I did an interview and he was incredibly supportive and incredibly open in there in that, mm -hmm. uh, in that session. There are, there are others, uh, other things that I've offered, but at the heart of it, it's those two, the membership and the advertising. Okay. And, um, what's the current stats of the show? I don't know. And do you know how many total 
downloads plays. Uh, I swear I don't know. And here's, I'm glad that I don't. So we've mm-hmm. talked in the past, or maybe not you and I, but I've talked in the past about how one of the things that, that got me down in podcasting was Following I would us. pay attention to my numbers so much me too. that I hated it. And then I was like, I was weak at it. I hated, like, I felt like such a failure for it. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to uh, Seth Godin at the time when everybody said the beauty of blogging versus newspapers is that there are comments and you get interaction from people. And, and he had the guts at that time when people said that is the beauty, that is the magic of blogging to get rid of it. And I asked him, I said, why did you get rid of it? And he said, I can't stop speaking to the audience and adjusting my presentation to the audience. I pay too much attention essentially to the audience, he said. Mm -hmm. And he killed the thing that everyone said was most important and his writing became better. For me, it's the same thing. I judge myself all the time that way. It's like kissing and then in the middle going, am I doing good? Am I doing good? Am I doing good? Am I doing good? You got at some point stop caring about it in order to do good. And so I had to stop caring about the numbers in order to do well here. I can't do both. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, general estimation: ten million downloads, hundred million downloads. I literally have no, no I, I idea whatsoever. No idea. No way. Really, nothing. No. Okay, but you are one of the top business podcasts. It is one of the top business podcasts, from what I know, right? Maybe. I don't even get hung <laughs> up. On, I don't even get hung up on that competition because here's okay. why. Yeah, I am the type of person who will feel bad for being in second place as soon as I start to care about it and think really? about it second yeah. place, right? You just have to know who you are and you could see that. I think in many ways, there was a reason why I was drawn to Wall Street as a, as a kid, as a teenager in college, Be, the, the, why I wanted to go meet Ace, the guy who was running Bear Stearns. Mm-hmm. It's because everything is so numbers-based. I loved it. I loved mm-hmm. it when I used to go with my boss and his friends Everybody knew where they were because they had a sense of how much money they made. Now, yeah. not his deep personal friends, but his work friends, for sure. I interviewed this guy. His name is Tom Cruise, just like the actor, but spelled differently. He's in the real estate game. He and his friends literally know where they stand in the pecking order based on how much money they make. And they keep a spreadsheet of how much money everyone makes. Right. He needs that. I have that pull in me to be that type of person. And I have to watch out for that. Mm, that makes sense. If you yeah. turn into that type of person, does it become obsessive? Like, yes. You, okay. You don't yes. like the person you become when you're so I'm competitive. Not about- I'm not getting, I'm not getting anywhere great with it. You know, okay. it has to be, I have to, I have to know my, my weaknesses and that's a big one. That makes sense. How long and uh, after you started park podcasting, did you start advertising? It took me a few years. It, it was in the beginning, uh, Chris, I was worried that people would see me as being inauthentic if I took advertising, that I authentically wanted to learn and I didn't want the, the, the guest to say, he's only doing this, he's only having me on to pump up his numbers so that he can get more ad money. He doesn't really care what I have to say. I'm going to say no. I was worried that would happen. I was worried the audience would say, Andrew doesn't really care about us. He only cares about making money from this podcast. He's just creating content to make money. Mm-hmm. And I was really worried about that. And I said, that's not my goal here. And so I'm just not going to do it. And I kept saying no. And obviously, if you're doing a podcast for business people, you're going to have business people listening who are going to say, why don't I buy an ad there, right? And so they would reach out to me and I kept saying no. Yeah. And then finally, when I was ready to say yes or yes, curious, no one was asking at the time and I had to go and figure out how do I get somebody to say yes. And that was a bit of a learning process. I think a lot of people go through that. So it's worth, I think there's some merit in this question, Andrew, that, um, you know, they're worried about that same thing that you're worried about. Is there ever a time uh, that's too early to start taking advertisements for your pod? Well, one of the things that moved me to say yes to advertising was I read this article by Jason Fried who talked about drumming. And his main point was that you have to suck at drumming in order to be good at drumming. And then he carried that into business. He said, you have to practice making money before before it's time, before you could get good at it. It was in Inc. Magazine if you want to go find it. My takeaway from that was, you know what, if I need this podcast and business to stand on its own and not have me fund it. And I want that because that way I know that it's really useful. If it's making money, then I know that people value it enough to make it useful. 
if I want that, I have to practice. I have to practice early and I have to practice when I suck, just like a drummer who has to suck and not have the rhythm. And so that's when I decided to go out and get an advertiser, not for the money, but for the practice. And the first advertiser was 650 or 750. I just sent, um, it was FreshBooks. I just sent the team at FreshBooks an email with a, with that first email that I reached out to them on. And I said, thank you for, for buying an ad in my podcast. It was that meaningful, not because 650 or 750, obviously don't even remember the number. So it wasn't life-changing obviously, but it was not life-changing money, life-changing experience in that I learned how to do it. I learned when the audience was small that I don't feel comfortable reading the ads by myself, that I suck. And in the beginning, I would then ask my wife, can you talk with me on camera and promote fresh books? And she said, okay. And so I couldn't do it on my own as much as I tried to, Chris. I would stare for hours literally at the camera <laughs> recording. Then he'd go, no, that's not good. And try it again. And today I still don't do it. Uh -huh. And I do, the inter I do my interview. And in the interview, I read my ad. Yeah. And I ask permission of every single guest before we get started. Um, be, but I have to tell them I can't do it on my own. Wow. And I've gotten better, but I still can't. And the upside of that, though, of realizing that is I think it makes for a much more interesting ad if I get to do it with my guests. So Mark Randolph today asked me not to be included in the conversation for my sponsor. He didn't want to have a back and forth. Yeah. But sometimes I do have a back and forth and people who use Gusto will tell me why they use Gusto. Yeah. And then that looks more and is more authentic. People who use a competitor of Gusto will tell me why they prefer a competitor of Gusto for, for paying their people. And that also leads to an understanding of why Gusto is useful. And so that combination makes for the ad copy being not a copy, but being more of a conversation that's at the same level and the same quality, hopefully, as the rest of the interview. So what you're saying is you're human just like the rest of us? Worse. I suck at looking at the camera <laughs> and talking. Okay. Can you give an estimation on uh, podcast revenue from advertising right now, commercials, sponsorship? I'll just give you an estimate. Um, yeah. It's about half a million, somewhere around there. Okay. Year. And, and then you have numerous master classes, I think... Anyway. And it's all part of a membership. They're both roughly, yeah. and I, I'm obviously not giving you exact numbers. I don't know, but yeah. in my mind, it's about half, half and half, half a million, half a million, somewhere around there. Okay. Some years a little bit more, some years a little bit less. Um, but that's where it is. How do you decide on who you want to do a master class with? It depends. It's like if a guest was really good, then I'd ask them. I say, look, there's clear enthusiasm in the audience. Can you come back and teach the thing that you did well? Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I'll have a book out and I'll ask them to come and teach some content, some ideas from the book. Sometimes it's a combination of that and my need. It's it's everything. Sometimes if someone in my audience will say, I'm having a problem with this thing, I go, I know the guy. Yeah. I know the guy. I'll go get him. I know other people have the same problem and I'll go get them. Um, yeah, that's it. And then um, how do you decide or do you have a structure on do you split revenue or split sales with those? They don't want the revenue with it. And it's, yeah. it's, it w in some ways, I think maybe I made a mistake by picking people who don't want the little bit of revenue that would come from some number of my members watching some fraction of their videos. Um, but they don't want it there. There's not enough revenue to go from 300 different pot, three diff 300 different episodes. And then also some people are not even in it for that. They don't watch a single one. I ask them, why are you even a member? They said, I just want to support. Right. So it's, it's just not there. But I think in retrospect, Chris, that might've been a better model for me to have mm -hmm. said, look, everyone who's on gets a share of the revenue. I'm going to teach the first hundred, 200 people how to, create a master class and split the revenue with them. I'll even create it with them and then split the revenue that comes from it. But then the next thousand people need to do it on their own. And this is a platform. I think if I would have done that, it would have been Skillshare and would have been a bit better business and a better long-term product. That's, that's a mistake. So when you talk about therapy, that's one of the things I'm going to talk to my therapist about, like, <laughs> did I screw up there? Should I have done that? And how do I let go of those, those thoughts? Are you advertising any of your masterclass or podcast on social media, paid ads? No. Um, I think we did a little bit. I should say that going into 2022, my goal is to take off just about everything, Chris. I'm, I'm going to do nothing but interviews. So it'll be interviews that I record one day a week, maybe even three or two days a month. Okay. And that's it. And I don't know what else I'm going to do, but that's one of the things that I'm trying to figure out with my therapist. I'm rejecting ads. I'm, um, so 
Andrew Gazdecki from MicroAcquire just asked to advertise. I said, I can't do it. I got Zoho that asked to advertise. Um, they've got a new pipeline-based CRM. I said, I, I can't. I'm backing out of every ad that I can. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to find some other thing to do for a bit to enjoy and then come back. But I am finding that except for the interviews, I'm freaking burned out. Yeah. And I'm gonna, I love doing the interviews. I'm going to do that forever. I think who knows, maybe I'll do at some point. I'll, I'll not want to do those, but I love them and everything else. I just want to have some space. Yeah. I want to just figure out what the next fun thing will be for me to do. Do you think you can keep, um, Mixergy and, and podcasting up for another 10 years? I think so. When you find the beauty about interviewing is it's, it's so meaningful. It's like asking somebody who's smart. Do you think you'll read a book? every year for the rest of your life. Well, yeah, it's, it's just like that. It's, do you think that you'll have a problem or a curiosity, Andrew, that you want to talk to the person who solved it better than anyone else in the world? Well, yeah, I I think I will. Now, will those people still be as open as they are today? I don't know. It's possible that they won't be. Uh, I'll tell you, Chris, one of the interesting things that's happened to me is that one of my guests who's been on the cutting edge of, uh, of crypto, reached out to me to ask me to take his interview down. And he's so open that I said, this is weird that you're asking me to take your, why, you know, I don't take down interviews. Why? And then he said, don't you know that the world is going pseudonymous and I'm going to go ahead of the pack by getting rid of all my stuff. And we're going to be all pseudonymous online. Mm -hmm. And then we talked about the value of that and how things are going in that direction. And I'm going to tell him, no, I can't take his interview offline. But the fact that someone who's that open wants to go that closed is an indication of the future, right? And so it's possible, Chris, that 10 years from now, nobody will want to do an interview. I don't believe that's true, but it's possible. And in that world, I think I'm going to have a real hard time. Today, we're incredibly lucky. Mark Randolph, the founders of Airbnb, the founders of all these companies are doing freaking interviews. And often they'll do them with smaller people whose work they value because they need help getting their ideas expressed well. Um, not because they even need the the audience, the reach. We might as well jump in it while we can. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, we've got a we're gonna open up the questions to some of the audience members. So if you guys want to hop in and ask uh, Andrew a question, we can. Dave wants me to ask a couple questions for him. So the first one that comes up comes from Dave Williams, founder of NomadX. Good friend. Dave says, I'm curious of your take on using a therapist versus a business coach, as I am seeing business coaches becoming more and more important for remote workers. And so Dave lives in Portugal and runs a community of digital nomads, location independent entrepreneurs, remote workers. I've never had a great result with therapists. I'm doing it again. I see my wife does, so I'm gonna do it again and try it again, but I've never had a good relationship or never had anything meaningful come out of it. Unless I'm working on a specific issue and I need so, and I need to have somebody help me get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also never had good relationships with business coaches, but actually, I don't think I've had a lot of business coaches. Where I find where I find that I thrive is here's a problem I have. Who can I get to just work with me on that one thing? And there's an upside and downside to that. The upside is you're focused on one thing. You'll eventually figure that thing out with someone. The downside is that you don't realize what you don't know you need. You don't realize all those outer edge issues that relate to the thing that you're working on. So it's probably healthy to have both. I just personally have thrived more with one need and searching for people who can do that. And then the other thing that I strive more because my, my brain thinks in, in systems is I don't just want to have a conversation where you solve today's problem. That's helpful. But can you give me a framework? What are we taking away from this that I can use next time that also that I can use to justify the direction you've given me? So I don't want to just know the Karakhan opening in chess. I want to know why that Karakhan works. And tell me why you're teaching it to me at this level. And now I understand why I could do it better and and then come back to you and tell, tell you if my numbers are going up or down in chess for having done that and we could adjust it. So that specific is really important. One of the questions, or one of the the quotes that you have in your book, Andrew, that I really liked um, was that you, anytime there's friction, 
uh, you seek to create a system to smooth yeah. out that or, or eliminate that friction. And I really appreciate that because um, I think I don't do that enough and I would like to do that more often in my life and, and actually become better at that. But is there ever a point where it's like your your passion for creating the systems for uh, all, around all the things that give us friction, that it, it, it gets too much, becomes too much? No, the problem with it is that you can eventually become so systemized that you don't break free. You've made the perfect system. I think somebody else, uh, it might have been Dave or Adam in the chat mm -hmm. who said, what is, what's your feeling about remote work? And yes. I have a love-hate relationship and it relates back to this. Mm -hmm. I loved my office. Most people hated leaving for the office. I didn't like anyone else being in my office, but I needed my office space to just be mine. And one of the reasons was that I could just sit at my desk and work. And then if I had an interview, I just hit one button, the lights, which are placed out of the way, but also placed in a way that makes it work well for me would just come right on. And then I'd have a monitor that I could look at properly and see my notes while I'm talking to you. Another one on the side, I'd have a, an iPad or some device on uh, in front of me with my notes. Everything was perfectly systemized. But it got so comfortable that and so good that I didn't experiment beyond that. And I didn't realize what else was out there. And so what I liked about COVID shutting down my office and then coming to, to Austin where I wasn't in an office space was I was forced to rethink it. One of the best discoveries, I just posted it on my Instagram story today. One of my best discoveries is I could actually record a podcast outside. That is amazing. You know, <laughs> you Austin, think that yeah. you have to be inside. Austin is beautiful. Yeah. I could sit by the fricking lake at a picnic table, have a cup of coffee, breathe the air, see the ducks, see the people, feel out in nature, but at the same time record a podcast and I keep challenging my audience, can you hear anything in the background? I'll sometimes ask people to stomp their feet or to make noise so that I could see if the mic picks it up. If I use CRISPR, I think is the name of the app, or CRISP, I forget. Mm -hmm. If I use a mic where I could lower the pickup and then adjust it later, if I use a few things like that, no one can hear it and I get the freedom of motion. Yeah. And that is beautiful. And now is the system great? No, I'm, I'm putting a boom arm on a picnic bench outside. I'm wiring in for a laptop and all that. All this stuff is not great. And I'm going to systemize it. My challenge will then be once it's systemized to a good point to not just be comfortable with it and settle in, but to say, okay, now let's throw it out the window and try something brand new. Yeah. And I find that people work both ways that people are either super creative and they can't have any systems at all, or they're super systemized and they get rid of all creativity and the combination is i think more more exciting uh which part of austin you are you in uh so we've been going from airbnb to airbnb i, I think okay. we're in like clarkville or something it's it's close enough to downtown and right by um deep eddie the pool where are you uh just south uh, travis heights are you familiar with it like 35 in riverside pretty much. Okay. Now I'm just learning about the area. Yeah. Just south of downtown. So, so Adam has a question. Adam, you want to hop in and ask your question? Adam Anderson. More than anything else right now, I totally want to ask my Do question. It. Andrew, I, I really resonated with the comments you made about uh, burnout. And so I work with a bunch of entrepreneurs, investing in them, working with them. And the number one thing that I struggle with is supporting them in their own journey with burnout. And so I'm just curious if you have some wisdom to sprinkle across our brains about um, how do you approach burnout? And uh, yeah, anything you can riff on that would be really, really useful. So that is what I had a conversation with my therapist about. And I said, I like my cycle of excessive work and then burnout. I just love being fully engaged and then fully disconnected. And what he helped me realize was that he that I often just like the drop the mic moment. So people have said, Andrew, why did you just sell your company and like, just move on? I said, that was the thing I needed. I just wanted, I, my big agreement wasn't that I needed to, maxim, to maximize my price, but I needed to maximize my exit. Within 30 days, I wanted to have no part in the business. I'm walking away, goodbye, because I was that burned out last time. And I like doing that and I have a history of doing that. I am finding now that I can't, and that's different, that I can't just say mic drop goodbye because there are people who count on me. There are um, there's things that 
are just going to continue that will not continue without me. Our greeting card company continued without me ever being there. Nobody knew or cared that I wasn't there. The, the mixergy business, the other parts of my world would not work as well. And so I'm trying to figure out how to deal with that. Um, the only thing that I could say, having gone through it, is that I don't think we recognize burnout or depression or those feelings until it's too late. It's like recognizing that you're that you could get hurt after you get a car crash, you know, instead of before. It's it's just our heads are not there. And if I would have known that it was coming up, I think I could have handled it better. But to wait till it's too late is is problematic. Uh, that was great. I, I, what I heard is that at well, some point in your life, burnout was a healthy tool that you used to end whatever you were working on. And you have now moved into a different kind of system where burnout is not the appropriate tool. And so maybe what I need to be aware of when I'm helping these folks is, you know, where is burnout for them? Is that a thing that's a healthy response? Let them know it's time to move on. Or is it something that if left unaddressed is actually going to be toxic inside of the systems they're building? But am I, am I tracking what you said? Yeah. And I would, I think also that a lot of the people you're talking to may not even be aware that they're capable of being burned out because Touché. it just yeah. goes so much, so hard. And I love and feed off of that. Um, and, and so that's where you just don't, don't have that recognition. Have you ever had a brain scan, Andrew? No, should I? What, what would yes. I scan for? Uh, because you can, so I was experiencing burnout and I'm a neuroscience f- nut. So I like studying this stuff. Right. So I went in and I got a brain scan and you can literally see burnout happening in a brain scan. And I actually decided to buy the machine that I got a, that was scanning my brain so I could scan it regularly and re-optimize it. And one of the things I do with entrepreneurs in our community and, and friends that I know, like I'll, I'll scan their brains to help them make, make sure they're optimizing their brain. So since you're in Austin, actually I'll just if you want to come over and get a brain scan one day, I'll do, it, I'll do it for free. What's uh, it going to tell me though? It'll tell you. So it can do a lot of things. It can actually, it'll show the voltage in your brain, brain reaction, voltage, brain reaction time, physical reaction time. It measures your HRV. It can measure, it will measure your uh, alpha, beta, theta, and delta waves in the coherence of your brain communicating to itself. It can, it'll predict um, Alzheimer's and dementia years in advance. And what we do is we send a scan off into to a neurologist and we have him read it and you get a good thorough video review and it comes back and tells you okay this supplement may help you this thing will help you sort of thing so if you'd like to come over you're more than welcome and and we can set up a brain scan for you down i think we're, we're taking some time away from seeing people because of because we've got COVID in the family yeah 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 post-covid let's Post-COVID. do it at the new year like yeah. after yeah let's do it then yeah um, okay, so Kian's got some questions. You know Kian from Monetize More, Kian Graham. He's coming in, and he was on. Hey, I get to see Kian. Hey, hey man, good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you, Andrew. Uh, cool. So, um, yeah, great to talk to you as well. So, I wanted, I had a couple questions, but I, first one, I wanted to touch on the advertisements. Because one thing that I really appreciate as a guest and as a listener is how, like you said, your advertisements are conversational. And they're very kind of customized. They're not intrusive. I find that very unique. I don't see that in other podcasts. So it's really great. You know, there's a lot of value to the advertisers and to the listeners. Uh, what I kind of wanted to know is, was it always like that? Or was there one point where you're like, oh, uh, maybe I should experiment? What's the story around how it became that way? I used to be so bad at doing ads for the guests. Like I told Chris that I would spend literally hours just trying to record one little thing. And then I started fantasizing about going into, because I love talking to strangers. I love talking to people. I started fantasizing about, can I just take my microphone and go over to, there's this uh, restaurant Swingers in LA, uh, right in Santa Monica near where I live. Can I just go in there, talk to a stranger and say, I can't do this podcast ad. Can we just hang out and talk about this thing? And I'll tell you what the sponsor does. And if you don't understand, you tell me, and then I could clarify it. So I'm not just talking to myself. And I, I just, for some reason, just didn't have the guts to do it, didn't have the hardware and equipment at the time to do it. And so I didn't do it. And I just kept forcing myself to record those ads ahead of time until, until I finally got good at it, but I never liked it. It never worked well for me. I don't know when, but at some point I said, let's just do it with my guest. 
and I know where the influence is. I used to love listening to talk radio. If you listen to old Howard Stern ads, he would he would interact with his team about the ad, with the guest about the ad. It was just so interesting to hear the ads that he read when he would. And, and by the way, there are people online now that can get you the older. I paid someone to go and hunt down years and years of old Howard Stern episodes. They're so good because you could see the guy fully developing his personality over the years and experimenting and getting to, to the person that he was. One of the things that made him so interesting was his ads that were pre-recorded by him or by other people were just blah, and you'd want to wait to, for them to move so you can get to the thing. The ones that he would talk about were great. Like he used to do this one ad for uh, a bartender school, and he just started talking about how the bartender is the one that everyone is interested in in the bar, and no one wants to talk to you when you go into a bar, right? And he's talking to his team, and they're laughing and talking about the bartender who, who – everyone was paying attention to instead of them. And he goes, well, if you want to be that bartender, just go take a class. There's a class that you could do. And it was just so funny. You talk about how he used to be a dork and that he needs these techniques to have women be interested in him. And the whole thing was just part of the show. And though that was influential, Rush Limbaugh talking to his audience and saying, look, the, the liberals are out to get now the orange business because the orange industry is sponsoring my show. Look, people, the best thing you could do is just go buy as much orange juice as you can. That's the only way to show the libs that you will not back down. <laughs> I interviewed the guy who sold Uggs boots. He was selling them to basically men and women in their 20s and teens who just were super stylish. And he talked about, I said, you still advertise on Rush Limbaugh. He said, yeah, let me give you a story about why. I said, tell me. Because this one woman, older lady, goes in and buys, I think it was a dozen Uggs boots. And the salesperson says, you don't look like our typical customer. What are you doing? She said, oh, Rush Limbaugh told me that I should be buying these Uggs boots. And so I'm going to buy as many as I can for the whole family. And so she bought all the Uggs boots. And the way that she did it is because he added his personality. He made the boots about more than boots about himself and his, his worldview. Howard Stern made bartending school more than about bartending. Nobody does it. Now, the, 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 the thing that I'm having a problem with as a podcast listener, I'm obsessive with podcasts. I listen to them all the time is freaking people are getting too corporate. If you listen to the Verge podcast, they have pre-recorded ads that it's not them recording it. They will literally say 5G is overpromised, overhyped. Now let's go into commercial and then they'll have a commercial. I swear this was true. A Verizon saying the 5G can help cure can cancer. I swear to God, it was the implication that they had. So they're out of alignment with it. Who's going to listen to this when clearly they told you that the 5G stuff is bull and now you've got the advertiser saying the opposite? What's the point? You know who's doing it well is YouTubers. Sorry, I'm going on a rant here because this is important. I think that if you're going to go, if you're going to do this, I think the bigger upside is in being a personality. YouTubers who will get a commercial for, I don't know what, story blocks where you can go and buy pictures and videos that you can include in your video. And they're going to, and if they're reviewing a camera, they're going to say, you know what? The DJI uh, Osmo Action 2 is coming out. It has good mics, but let's hear how good the mics are. I'm actually going to do, and let's see how good the camera is. I'm going to do this whole commercial for story blocks using their microphone and their camera. You're going to see me in windy situations and you're going to see me in other situations, sunny, bright, dark, etc. And you'll see how it works while listening to, now I'm watching Storyblocks commercial for the millionth freaking time because I want to see, does the microphone really work in these conditions? It's such a rant, but I think it's important. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I, yeah, it's all about the context. And I think uh, you execute it really well. It's that convergence of like, advertisement and product placements uh, and it's uh, yeah and you you manage the context really well so I I re really enjoy that and you know as a listener I don't feel like I should just like skip it you know it's it actually adds value to the the whole story of the podcast so really like that uh, I have one other question for Andrew you interviewed mm -hmm. some incredible entrepreneurs you know some of them are founders of unicorn companies uh, but, you know, like uh, entrepreneurs of all different, uh, you know, company sizes and successes, what would you say is the biggest personality trait that separates those, say, unicorn founders from the rest? Let me not go to unicorn, but just go to the ones who are, who are doing especially well. 
they really are what you think they are and what they, how they project themselves to this. Like you think that it's just super authentic and they found a way to do that. And it seems easy to do, but it's really hard just to, how do you know yourself well enough that you can communicate yourself in general in life is really hard. How do you know yourself that you can communicate yourself to the, the person you're in love with is really tough. And then to communicate yourself to the people you work with is hard. And then to communicate yourself and be yourself through your company, that's really tough. But the ones that I've seen are just, they do that. And as freaky as they are, they communicate that freakiness and they don't hold back. And it's just amazing to do, to watch and to do. I mean, to one of the founders of Reddit, we were having dinner in the super open conversation. You could see he is who he is online. He's not, everything is like a projection of this thing that is him. It's the embodiment of him. He's got a lot. Thank you. Okay. So, okay. Uh, thanks for that. It sounds like authenticity is a really uh, big thing that kind of separates those. Uh, and it's so freaking hard. It's so hard. It's right. Like, can I be myself with Chris and admit to him that I went to, sex there to sex class so that I can learn how to be better at sex that I sucked. Like that's kind of like, who's listening. Is this what he's looking for? Did, right. It's just all that stuff. Is that not going to hang on me that I've just said that I'm, that I'm burned out. And then what is it like all that stuff is just really hard. And these are a little easier steps. So I don't want to underestimate it, but they really are amazingly themselves, the, amazingly themselves. Very cool. Thank you, Andrew. And great chatting with you again. We appreciate your transparency, Andrew. I was, uh, I always think it's great when guests open up and share like intimate things about themselves because it really does help other people realize that we're all going through a bunch of shit together. Sometimes not always the, the exact same thing, but we're always going through a bunch of shit. Um, and you know what? I'll, I'll go a little bit further. Uh, it's not just even, it's everything. So Said Balki, incredibly successful founder of WP Beginner, this blog about WordPress. WP is WordPress, right? Uh -huh. He started creating all these plugins. The dude's making bank from all these plugins that people are buying. It's just running the company is going well. He's then, he'll tell you, everyone's talking about how they just bought a new car. He goes, you see that building over there with the bank in it? I bought that, mm -hmm. right? Everything about him is his own freaky self. He is super systemized. Everything is documented. Everything in the company has got his anal retentive approach. We literally sat down for lunch. He literally, without noticing, saw a freaking penny and picked the freaking penny up because he cares about pennies like that. I He'll talk about how with the same enthusiasm that he has about buying a building, about how his gardener let him use his Netflix account as a second user because he doesn't want to pay for freaking Netflix. <laughs> his business is run that way. He is run that way. He is full on in alignment of who he is. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, yeah. All transparency. I actually, I love your red advertisements. And the first time I heard it, it was, you did it so well. I was like, I've got to do that. I think this is three, couple, two, three years ago. And I've been doing that ever since because you just, you did it so well. So thank you for that. Thanks. Yeah. Dave has another question here. Who are some of your favorite startup entrepreneurs and podcasts? Uh, Favorite entrepreneurs is a guy that I that I've really been digging lately that I don't think people are paying attention to. His name is Nick O'Neill. What he's doing is either going to be stupid or it's going to be great. And I think he's in the NFT space. He created the Nifty, and it's right now just kind of ranking NFTs. But he's kind of put himself at the heart of the NFT space, and he did it at a time when people thought the whole thing was ridiculous. And when I was trying to buy my first NFT, he get some, got on Zoom with me and walked me through it and acknowledged the problems with NFTs, but was also optimistic about it. Um, I think that whole space is really interesting. He's one. And then as far as podcasts, I think the Acquired Podcast is one that a lot of people in Silicon Valley are, are listening to, and it's still worth listening to. If you're into biographies or books, they kind of do that, like tell the story of a thing or a business but two people talking, it makes such a difference. You can listen to an audiobook and it sounds flat, but if you listen to the two of them telling you the story of how Ethereum was founded and grew, how Bitcoin was founded and grew, or how Standard Oil was founded and grew, it's much more alive and interesting to hear the two of them do it. And they built a, a real following in that space and it's well-earned. Yeah. Um, 
I think we're going to wrap up here soon. Just check with the audience, see if there's any more questions out there. But while we wait for that, Andrew, maybe I'm, I'm always curious. I like to ask successful podcasters this. Any other ways to grow a podcast in today's market other than just creating really high valuable content that you recommend? It seems to me that every that podcasting is just insanely hard to grow directly. You talked about Tim Ferriss. My understanding from right. people who work with him is that he's not growing the podcast directly as much as he is growing that list, the email list, which then feeds into the podcast. You see that the people who are now at the top of the charts on on podcast apps often have their start with YouTube or YouTube clips, right? And so that feeds in. There's just crappy discovery right now on podcasts. I think Spotify is doing a good job of introducing new podcasts, but if I look into my look into a podcast that Spotify is recommending, they've been such duds that you start to appreciate how amazing the algorithm is on TikTok or even YouTube, that they will on those platforms find other creators that are phenomenal, that match my interests. I still haven't found that in Spotify. I haven't found that on any other apps. It's still a challenge. And so it's better to build them on different platforms and then bring it into podcasting. That's a good recommendation. I agree with that completely, actually. Um, are there any ways, Andrew, that we could support you, like the listeners out there, um, buy the book. I think that's a great one to start. Uh, listen to the podcast. Any projects you're working on or people you're looking to get connected with that we can keep our ears open for you? I'll say here's an amazing thing that I'm going to learn. Um, Jason Gaynard from Mastermind Talks, is, he's so aware of like people and their needs before they're even aware of him. He's amazing that way. And once I published my book, the first thing, the first thing that I got back from anyone outside of my direct immediate circle was from him saying, Andrew, I put a comment, uh, a, a positive review on Amazon. That was such a nice, thoughtful thing that I have to now remember when any of my friends write a book, even if I'm not the first to go in and do that. You know, it's like when you watch your friend come off stage at a, at a conference and they think that they're not sure how they did to say, that was amazing. I love that thing that you did so helpful when I finished doing an interview with someone and at the end they say they they want to know how was it and authors like that too and so to be able to say to a creator of any type I I loved it and I even wrote a review somewhere oh that is so powerful and so I'm stealing that I don't have anything that I need from anyone in the audience but I'm so stealing that Jason Gaynard idea and being aware of it and now I think like such an idiot that Nirial my buddy wrote a book about uh, called uh, Indistractable, the one about how to stay focused. Yeah, I should have been the first one. We were talking as he was doing it. I should have been the first one to go on Amazon and write a review and send it over to him. I should have been the first one after reading his book, Hook, to go on and do it. Even before reading it, I should have just gone on and said, I've watched this guy develop these ideas. I'm excited to read the book. I bought the book, like all that stuff. Anyway, those little things, I like watching things on the inside so that I understand how to how to treat other people who are going through it. And so yeah. now that I've published a book, I'm now noticing that and I, I'm going to keep that in, in my back pocket. Yeah. So you guys, let's go leave a review for Andrew <laughs> and his it. new book, Stop Asking Questions. Actually, you know, it's really hard to get reviews on podcasts as well. Uh, I know, I'm, I imagine you've had that experience as well. So any listeners out there feeling generous, want to do your good deed for the day, go uh, go give Andrew a review on his podcast as well. And if you do it for someone else or to me, to just send a message saying, I did that. It's And I, so my wife didn't do it. And then her, I think her mom didn't do it. And I asked her to do it and she said, oh, wait a minute. I was thinking I have to finish reading the book before I do it. Of course she did, right? Like we're getting so freaking anal about it that it's, and then she went and she did it and it was phenomenal that we overthink it. You wait for someone to listen to, you wait to listen to a full podcast episode before reviewing it. It's like, it's like Apple podcast app is going to go, this sucks. The person <laughs> clearly didn't listen to every single episode where it's just enough to say, I've watched this person authentically build a business and now he's done it. I should have done that freaking Mark Randolph. He just came up with a podcast. I should say, I've watched him help a friend of mine over the years in private. I'm glad that now he's doing a podcast where you get to listen to how he helps other entrepreneurs. You freaking love that. Everyone who's creating has this sense of, am I doing good? Do people like it? And to be able to say, not just pat you on the back privately, but in public, phenomenal. I'm going to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. My friend, we're going to wrap up there. Um, for the listeners, where's the best place they can find you at? 
uh, Mixergy in your podcast app or just look for Andrew Warner in there. Any other tips or droplets of wisdom you want to leave us with before we go? This whole book came because I obsessively started to write and document the things that I do well. I think we should be documenting so much more in our lives, even if it's in our journal, that when Jeremy Carrigan, the producer of Inside the Actor Studio, told me a technique for doing a better job of getting somebody to open up, the fact that I would write it in a Google Doc is tremendous. And now as I say that, I'm going to take that advice with my therapist, that every time I learn something insightful about myself, I'm just going to write it down as like a system for operating Andrew. And I think a system for operating, how you do your podcast, how you do everything that you think is just so insignificant is so helpful to have it documented and to have it processed. And who knows, maybe at some point it could be a book or maybe it's just a way of making you better in today. You can call those SOAs, system of operating (laughs) for Andrew. (laughs) All right. Thank you. You Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. The word I would use, we're all using SOPs like Uh we're now Dilbert characters. (laughs) I think the, I think the word we should be using is playbook. That, that is our playbook. What is, And then we'll feel better about using it. Our team will feel better about using it. What's the playbook for getting this thing I done? Like that, yeah. Develop your own playbook for life, for work, for everything. Yes, for podcasting and all. Andrew, again, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing all your tips and tricks and wisdom with us. And I think the guests really enjoyed you as well. Yeah, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you so much, Andrew. And we hope to have you on the show soon again sometime. But keep doing what you're doing. It's amazing, my friend. Thank you so much. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us. And once again, we wanted to remind you about our adventures and trips for entrepreneurs in our private community. If you enjoy luxury trips to the Caribbean, going on bucket list adventures around the world, or just traveling to connect with other established entrepreneurs, then be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to stay connected at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. Thanks for joining the show today, and we'll see you on the next episode.